0: INACOL call innovation spotlight a new podcast series designed to bring you commentary and analysis on leading education systems change my name is matthew shea and joining me is courtney belolan if you recognize our voices it's because we manage the Inacol voices hub every year at the annual Inacol symposium which just like this is a place for the field's leading experts to share insights so if you are headed to palm springs this fall please stop by the innovation corner and chat with us.
1: Matt, Inacol is well known for producing some of the field's most important reports, research, and issue briefs on personalized, competency-based education.
0: Yes, all things education innovation.
1: So with the introduction of this podcast, Inacol is adding a new way to share the latest thinking in education innovation, new directions in the field, and deep dives into the field's most pressing issues.
0: This series, The Innovation Spotlight, is also here by popular demand. It's an answer to a request that Inecol gets to provide expertise, collaborate with the field, and to host conversations on tough subjects.
1: Matt, we're learning so much about learning. In the past uh, several years, we've seen so much more attention being given to whole child learning social-emotional learning, and how education systems need to change to incorporate our new understanding of how children grow and develop and learn.
0: Indeed. There's a whole field that's developed called the learning sciences aimed at doing exactly that. Many have been reaching out to Inacol and coming to the annual INACAL Symposium to learn more about it and to get practical hands-on tips on how to fit this new information into the learning environment. One place we haven't seen as much on is the role of policy and what its role is in expanding the learning sciences.
1: Right, and Inacol is answering that call with an upcoming publication on policy and the learning sciences. And joining us today to talk about it is the lead author, Natalie Trong, Policy Director at Inacol. Welcome, Natalie.
0: Thank you. Now, I've really been fascinated with this topic because it's clear that the way our current education system approaches learning is not exactly aligned with what we know about, about how children learn and grow.
2: Yeah, unfortunately not in, uh, in many cases.
0: Right. Uh, there's a lot of misalignment, but this is really a place of opportunity. Uh, schools can now begin to rethink all of the ideas used to design the learning experience for students in K-12 education and redesign them based on the learning sciences So help us out first by describing exactly what you mean by learning sciences.
2: So the learning sciences is an interdisciplinary field of research that provides insights into how students learn, grow, develop. It borrows from child psychology, neuroscience, sociology, and behavioral development, as well as cognitive learning. And it's also commonly referred to as the science of learning or the science of learning and development.
1: So, what's the role of policy to incorporate it into the learning sciences?
2: Um, That's a great question. Um, So, we think that policy can play a supportive role in, in framing the expectations for teaching and learning. Through policy, we can work to create the conditions that are conducive to how students learn best. For example we can create the conditions that enable schools and districts to design a vision for student success that is grounded in how learning and development happens but unfortunately our education systems are built on outdated models of teaching and learning that were designed for an industrial age the factory model of education is um, as we've all heard one size fits all it's designed for efficient sorting of students And it often reduces the student experience across K-12 education down to a single GPA at graduation, when we know that education is so much more than that. So ultimately, we know that education, as a pillar of our democracy, is one of the most important tools in shaping our identities, our goals, our values as a nation, as we learn about how the world is changing and what we want our place to be in it. Education systems naturally become a locus of change, and we can accomplish that change by scaling statewide, local, and federal policy to um, support education systems to be more modern and student centered.
1: Like we opened with, we're constantly learning new things and learning about learning. So, what is it that we know now about how students learn best that we didn't know a few decades ago or when our you know, the, the factory size model of education started?
2: So there's been a lot of emerging research in motivation, in child psychology, in growth mindset, all of which shows that learning is a very active process. It's not a passive one. Um, so we know that learning is something that is done by students, not done to them or on their behalf. And the current stand and deliver model of teaching breaks the central tenet the style of the teacher, a lecturer, or the student just sitting and getting. It's not the most conducive approach for learners, especially our young learners. Um, they need to be mobile. They need to have hands-on learning experiences. They need to be motivated and engaged. And what they learn must be relevant to their goals and their interests in order to keep them motivated and into in their learning process. So all of that is emerging as very important goals in designing curriculum and learning experiences for students. And we also know that every student comes into the classroom or learning platform with their own prior knowledge, different backgrounds, and different levels of experience, um, as well as various ways of approaching learning. And that's why personalizing learning is so important and student-centered learning is so important is it gives students agency, gives students, you know, power in terms of their voice and choice and what they get to learn, how they're learning it. And it also affects their long-term versus short-term memory. If they're engaged, if they're having experiential learning experiences, if they're able to master their learning objectives and move along a progression that is individualized based on what they know, what they should know and and is tailored to those unique circumstances, then they're, they're going to retain those learning objectives longer, and they're going to be more engaged and motivated to continue learning. So there's emerging research that's been led by the Aspen Institute's National Commission on Academic and Social-Emotional Learning, which provides evidence that social-emotional learning also matters. It matters as much as motivation and cognition. And as a matter of fact, learning is a result of the interplay between the three. Um, So to reduce student experience and learning to a single summative uh, score or one test is not enough to really show like the dynamic learning and growth that students experience in the classroom throughout the entire year, as well as how important social emotional building and growth is for students. Also, Carol Drex's growth mindset work discusses how intrinsic and extrinsic motivation plays a role in learning. And the bottom line there is that learning takes time and effort. We often hear that making mistakes and failing is the surest way to learn, grow, and improve. But our education system doesn't provide the time or supportive environment for kids to learn from their mistakes. In fact, they're often punished for, you know, failing or not having enough time to make up a test or not getting it right the first time. Mm. So the way that our education system uses times and calendars and schedules do not align with the need that that students have to learn and grow and make mistakes and we also know that positive relationships with adults are the foundation to learning and development and that mindsets both in students and teachers do matter it matters in problem-solving situations and it shows up in motivation as well and what they both think about their intelligence and capacity to learn, as well as whether their teachers believe in them or not, plays a huge role in terms of student outcomes. And finally, the last research I'll highlight is the work that's being led by Turnaround for Children, and that's providing evidence that stress and adversity interrupts and shows up in the learning environment, and that their effects, stress and, and adversity on the brain, can show up in terms of memory, processing capacity, making connections, and you know, in student behavior. The healthy relationships that we mentioned earlier were between adults and teachers and students, however, can help build resilience in students and counter the negative effects of adversity on learning that Turnaround for Children has, has demonstrated. So that, those are a few examples of how emerging research in the last few years is, is shifting our thinking about student learning.
0: Natalie, you just said that that is a few examples. That sounds like a lot. (laughs) So what, what do we do as educators with all that new knowledge?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of that knowledge is empowering. And I think it reinforces a lot of, you know, what best practice in teaching and learning should look like and could look like. We have a few imperatives that we can do with this. First, education systems need to account for the whole child and all learning experiences. Um, Not just one facet of student learning, not just their proficiency in in reading and math, but, you know, all of their experiences, all of their backgrounds, and what they're capable of. And everyone in the education universe, teachers, administrators, learners, parents, community members, policymakers, need to understand how learning happens and foster supportive learning environments for children. We also need to understand the importance of individualizing learning um, that cannot be Um, understated. For example, Lev Vygotsky's work on the zone of proximal development that has shown up in some of our publications really shows the need to meet students where they are based on their prior knowledge and developmental levels. I know I'm throwing more research at you, but the work that's happening at some universities today on learning progressions also underscores the importance of individualizing student learning goals and plans and how important it is for educators to support students on their individual needs as they progress and on their own learning trajectories. So I I think a lot of this knowledge is, is showing us that learning needs to be personalized and we need to give students time and support to, to learn and grow and, and be their own persons without, punishment, <laughs> without punishing them or limiting them. Um, and with that greater knowledge about learning and development, we can advocate for systems change to better meet the needs of our students.
0: Is there anywhere within current policy that we have the tools we need to incorporate the learning sciences?
2: Yes. At the federal level and the state level, the Every Student Succeeds Act provides states with more flexibility to advance policies that are centered around the success for the whole child. So one example of this is how states can redefine student success through the creation of something called a profile of a graduate, and several states have engaged Um, In this process already, they've engaged with stakeholders to determine the skills, knowledge, and dispositions students should have upon exiting the K-12 education system. The Every Student Succeeds Act is also promising for state policy by allowing states to move away from classifying schools for improvement based on single summative scores. And allow states to use multiple measures in their data reporting and accountability systems to account for school conditions, just just beyond testing. So, states can really look at the flexibility there to redesign their accountability system, redesign student success, and just make it more holistic and centered on student learning and growth.
1: That sounds like really good news. But I can also imagine, with everything you've described, that there are many places where current policy is also at odds with the learning sciences.
2: Yep. (laughs) Yes, that is unfortunately also true. Um, So some of the challenges in our current policy is that, you know, we have a very, very narrow definition of what student success looks like. We call success being proficient in reading and math. Well, and while those are not unimportant goals, are no longer sufficient, especially to be successful in college career and civic life in the 21st century. As well as the dominance of of end-of-year assessments, it can be problematic. The learning sciences teach us the importance of continuous check-ins with our learners, as well as formative assessments to gauge learning progression. We need to know students prior learning their knowledge and and continue to check in with them over time and really look at their growth over time. So an end-of-year assessment, doesn't give students or teachers the feedback that they need um, in order to improve and make the changes necessary or really show like how much students have grown within a year either. So that's also a policy issue. Another one is seat time requirements are based on days or instructional hours instead of student mastery of their learning objectives. And that's also a holdover from the factory model. And some policy also assumes that the lecture is the default form of instruction, and you see that in line of sight policies. So those policies are in which the student has to be within the line of sight of the teacher, and that assumes that the teacher is standing and delivering knowledge or or learning, and and students are just passively sitting there being recipients of it. Another one is our age-based cohorts. Students enter schools in age-based cohorts and advance with their age groups instead of by mastery of learning objectives. And so that model is not based on meeting students where they are and their learning.
0: So this sounds like a very complex problem. Uh, we seem to have some supportive policy and we seem to have some policies that erect barriers for kids. So how do we get from here to where we need to be?
2: Great question. Broadly, there are multiple structural changes that need to take place across the federal, state, and local levels in order to get to where we want to be. At the federal level, the Department of Education could provide discretionary grants or in, to incent innovation and enable continuing research on the learning sciences, as well as its implication on ESSA and in states and districts. At the state level, states uh, we need to move away from regulations that reinforce traditional structures of education that are not aligned to the findings of the learning sciences. One example here is that state policies should provide flexibility in seat time requirements. And at the local level, educators you know, should be prepared to meet students where they are, both developmentally and academically. And, and that teacher training and preparate ongoing professional development and training should provide educators with the knowledge and skills necessary to have and ha- to have the cultural competencies to leverage student backgrounds as a positive learning experiences in, experience in classrooms in order to meet students where they are and to understand our learners um, and to personalize and individualize learning for them. So there's a lot that could happen, but um, I think there's a lot of positive signs that we're heading in the right direction.
0: That definitely sounds. A lot better than it did when you said there were so many barriers out there. <laughs> so at the upcoming symposium, are there opportunities for people who want to learn more about the learning sciences?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have an entire strand of sessions and workshops dedicated to whole child personalization and social emotional learning. And we also have another strand specifically on policy and advocacy that will touch on some of the learning sciences. And as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, we have an upcoming paper on what we discussed in this podcast on the learning sciences and our policy recommendations that's coming out very soon.
1: So before we close, is there anything we didn't touch on that you would like to
2: um, say or reiterate? I think we touched on a lot. I just want to reiterate that it's really important for our policy and practice to be supported by the research and how students learn and develop and how we can better nurture our learners. I wanna highlight again, the important role of student agency and all of this to engage our learners and to give them voice and choice, uh, allow them you know, the opportunity to have voice and choice in their decision-making and what they learn, what they're interested in so that they can personalize the experience for themselves and be co-creators of this experience. And lastly, I just want to acknowledge that we are building on the knowledge of the field in the learning sciences and the science of learning and development. And we are hoping to contribute a voice in connecting it to policy. But a lot of the research is out there. I hope people are paying attention and will connect and read some of their research. Yeah, thank you so much for your time.
0: <laughs> Natalie, that was a fantastic discussion on the learning sciences. And you can learn more by coming to the INACAL Symposium. Natalie Trong, thank you very much for t- talking with us today.
2: Thank you, Matt and Courtney. I'm
1: so happy to hear again I think I said this almost every time but I'm so happy to hear that there are people working on this getting policy to reflect what we know about how children learn about how people learn it's it's such a good thing
0: I think one of the differences these days are a lot of people are aware of it, but they're just not sure where to go sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it turns out I actually had a meeting this morning in my district and we're reviewing some policies. And one of the comments for one of the first ones we did was this policy seems to be really old school and doesn't reflect what's going on in the real world. Yes. And I was yes. like, yes. Yes correct. It's time to redo everything and rethink the way we do school and not just tweak it at the edges, but really think about what, what works for kids and design school around that instead of just trying to fix the way we've been doing school since the 1800s. Right,
1: right. And what are the federal, state, and local structures and policies that can really support those changes?
0: Yeah, it was really nice to hear about some of the, the positive ways that, that people are changing. Right, uh, And also call out some of the requirements that are all still in policy that are, that are barriers. And I, I think calling them out and noticing them is going to make a big difference from here going forward.
1: Definitely. Every year, more than 3,000 people come to the annual symposium. It's a huge event. And if you're not there, you're missing out on some of the field's most brilliant thinkers. I get something new to act on every time I go.
0: Me too. So if you'd like to join us in Palm Springs this October 28th through the 31st at the Palm Springs Convention Center, head over to inacol.org slash symposium. That's I-N-A-C-O-L dot org slash symposium. All the details are there.
1: Yes. And follow Inacol on social media to get late breaking updates. On Twitter, they're at nacol at n-a-c-o-l and on facebook they're at facebook.com slash inacol
0: and as we said at the top we'll be there we'd love it if you would come see us and chat with us we'll be located in the innovation corner so check for signs directing you directly to the voices hub we'd love to meet you
1: see you there